Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey, read by the author. The sequel to Max Quick, Book One, The Pocket and the Pendant, produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on the Max Quick series or this podcast, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. Sixteen, Hill Day. A sound, a familiar sound, filled the air. It was early morning, perhaps five a.m. Sasha wiped the sleep from her eyes and vaguely dismissed the low whine. It was all right; she'd heard it a thousand times before. It was nothing special, but a tapping feeling inside her mind, like an ant jumping up and down trying desperately to get her attention, would not go away. A small voice was howling at her to get up. And double quick. Confused, she propped herself up on one elbow and tried to clear the sleep fog from her mind. What the hell? The skyscraping semi thunder grew closer, and with a start, she realized what it was—a jet airplane. She whipped the bearskin blanket off and jumped to her feet. Casey, she yelled. Casey, wake up! Outside, quick! Casey came alive much faster than she had. Logan and Cody stirred in their cocoons, but realizing something was amiss, popped instantly awake like hunters. The foursome ran out of the teepee. A dense fog swaddled the earth in every direction. The vague gray outlines of the Whitby were all that was visible, other than the teepee itself and a few nearby lean-tos. White void blanketed the world. Squinting at the sky, Sasha turned this way and that, desperately trying to see the plane. "What is it?" Logan asked calmly. "Do you know what that sound is?" Yes, Sasha said. It's an airplane, like the ship that crashed in the desert. But airplanes come from our time. They're made by humans, not Nibirians, not star people. A heavier than air flying machine? Cody asked. That's what's making all this infernal noise. Yes, Casey answered, now peering intently at the sky. But what's it doing here? The noise of the engine changed. The pilot seemed to be having trouble. He was increasing thrust. It was a primal noise, like the airplane itself was panicking—the kind of noise you never want to hear during a landing. The pilot's confused, Sasha said to Casey. He probably can't see in all this fog, and he's lost contact with his tower, and all his instruments are probably going crazy. Suddenly, a dim light was visible over Arturo Jip to the north, beyond the Whitby. A shaft of yellow cut through the fog like the eye of a dragon. There, there it is! Come on, Sasha yelled. Let's get to the other side of town. She took off in a sprint. Casey didn't argue. She followed. Logan and Cody were close behind. The center of the jeep was already filled with several bleary-eyed men in their long johns, all staring at the sky in scared astonishment. Some had their guns drawn, waiting for this fell beast of the fog to suddenly appear. Sasha abruptly decided to stop. From here, they could see the approaching plane headlight clearly. The Whitby was four stories tall and had blocked their view from the teepee side. But the thirteen in the shops on the north side were all squat, one-story constructions, and the plane was well above them. At the far end of the street, Blackthorn burst out of the Victorian. He was wide awake and mostly dressed, and was just strapping his gun holster on. He and Casey met eyes for a moment, and then Casey turned hers to the light in the sky. Twin flashing wing beacons of green and red were now visible, in addition to the headlights. The thunder of the engine, the air-gnashing, sky-churning sound that only a jet can make, shook the buildings. 
Terror filled the faces of the men on the ground. The demon from the sky was closing in on them. It was getting very close now. The light was headed right for the hill Arturo Jip was built on, the one elevated piece of land for miles and miles around. Then, suddenly, the plane itself appeared from behind a fog bank in the sky. Clouds swirled menacingly around the nose, the wings, the massive jet engines beneath the wings, scattering like a frightened school of fish. Grown men, murderers, and thieves screamed. It looked like a commercial airliner, and it was heading right at them. A 747 or something. Blackthorn looked up at it without emotion. Casey stole a glance his way. He wasn't amazed in the least. He continued to walk towards it, towards the center of town. He didn't even seem to be thinking about drawing his gun. A horseman! A horseman of the apocalypse! One of the men shouted, spit flying from his rabid lips. He pointed his gun and fired at the plane. Behold the pale rider! Another screamed. And his name was Death! More senseless bullets zinged through the fog. Don't shoot! Casey howled at several near her. There are people on it, you idiots! But the gunfighters were gone, lost in their own terror. Their minds had temporarily snapped. They responded the only way their bones knew how, by shooting. But the pilot seemed to see the town below suddenly. Maybe the hail of bullets got his attention. And the ground was much closer than he had thought. He immediately gunned the throttle, fighting for quick altitude. The engines roared to life, power jolted them. But this only made the great flying hulk seem even more like a roaring peridactyl attacking the town. And the terror and the shooting only increased. Casey felt her bones rattle with the vibration of the plane. With a fiery roar, it passed directly over the jip. It was as near to the ground as if she were on the freeway right next to the Starland Airport, which planes routinely passed over, seeming dangerously close. It's gonna land on the town, Casey thought stupidly. She could even see the markings on the bottom of the plane. Pacific Sky Shuttle 12119, it said. There was also an American flag and a few other logos and numbers. But she saw sparks fly off the gray belly of the craft as bullets ricocheted off of it. She prayed that antique western six-shooters wouldn't pack enough power to actually penetrate the hull. And so far, this seemed to be the case. Thankfully, the cowboys seemed to think it was some kind of dragon, and thus shot at the underbelly, not the wings or the engines. If they'd hit a window in the cockpit or one of the engines, they might have actually succeeded in bringing the plane down. As the massive steel beast passed over the Whitby, it began a rapid ascent. A roiling curtain of cloud closed behind it, billowing together and sealing it into the mist as if on cue. It was a will-o'-wisp of the skies, a fairy light receding into the heavens once again. The group of cowboys were suddenly less afraid. They stood a little taller as they fired into the mist. They had scared it off. The dragon was running. Blackthorn watched the lights of the airliner ascend with a glint in his eye. Curiously, he seemed more interested in it now that it had passed over the town. He walked towards it as if waiting for something. Casey watched him for a moment and then turned her gaze to the receding light. What is it? What are you watching for? Casey thought. But then she saw exactly what it was. There was a popping noise and the light vanished. Something had slurped the plane away. It hadn't just receded slowly until it dwindled into nothing in the sky. It had up and vanished through something in the air. An arch? Was there a doorway in the sky? A way out of the jip? A hint of a smile crossed Blackthorn's face. He'd seen what he'd hoped to see. With that explanation, he turned and walked back to the Victorian. He's working on another sky chamber, Casey thought suddenly. That had to be it. 
He'd recovered some of the Umphalos crystals from the crashed ship in the desert. Casey had seen them when she'd snuck into the Victorian, and he was trying to get the rest from the mines beneath the jip. He'd already suspected that there was a dory in the sky, but now he just confirmed it. Back in the teepee, Sasha made the bedding. Cody cooked breakfast, and Logan smoked his pipe thoughtfully. Casey entered. Something is different now, Sasha said abruptly. An airplane is a thing from our time. I think it came here because we came here. Casey looked quizzically at her. Think about it. Before we showed up, the only people who ever wandered into the jip came from the 1800s. You know, other Old West people, not people from the future or whatever. And now, suddenly, jetliners are appearing in the sky. That can't just be a coincidence. Casey was taken aback. It made sense. Could that be true? Could their very presence here have created some kind of imbalance? Something which ripped open a portal back to their own time? Have you ever seen anything like that plane before? Casey asked Cody. The flying machine? Nope. He shook his head. It's like Miss Sasha says. Today was the first time something like that has ever happened in the history of the jip. Not totally, Casey protested. A sky chamber in the desert. Ah, but that doesn't count, Sasha corrected her. Sky chambers have existed for thousands of years. They were certainly around in the time of the Old West. Most people just didn't know about them. Casey nodded. True, true. Now, something is different now, Casey concluded. And it has to do with us, with our presence here in the chip. The fog began lifting and burned off around 9 a.m. that same morning. Logan had gone outside the teepee before the rest of them. He seemed to think he would see something. And he did. Cody, he barked into the teepee, voice full of alarm. Cody, it's a hill day. A hill day, Casey repeated. What the heck did that mean? The three of them scrambled outside. Where there had once been an immense desert surrounding Arturo Jip, there were now countless eerie mounds, small hills. There were thousands, no, hundreds of thousands, of humps of ground. Casey was startled at first by them. Her brain refused to register their impossible presence for a full 15 seconds. It was as if they had all sneakily crept up during the night, an army of monsters made of rock and stone and sand and grass. They were everywhere, literally stretching from the horizon from the bottom of the hill of Arturo Jip all the way to the horizon of hazy mountains. By all the red hills, Cody cursed, this is bad luck. There's, like, a million hills out there now, Sasha said, stupefied. Sasha stared at them, weird shambling cromlechs that seemingly tiptoed around when no eyes were upon them. She was going to protest their very existence like any rational sane person would, but then she just threw her arms up and rolled her eyes. Oh hell, she said, this on top of everything else. Well, why not? Casey, Sasha, listen to me, Cody said, eyes intense. We have to be extra careful today. You've never seen a hill day. They don't happen very often in the jip. When they do, they're very dangerous. Why? Casey asked. Do the hills move? Do they attack people? No, Cody replied. Not in the daytime. Not when anyone's looking at them. That's not the danger. See, normally, there's nothing but desert all around the jip. You can see for miles. But these hills, they can hide the approach of brigands or Indians. You won't even know they're there until they're right on top of the jip. Hold on a minute, Sasha said, eyebrows furrowed. We already know there's no one out there. Everyone always ends up in the jip and no one could survive in that desert past a day or two. Except on a hill day, Cody said. Casey just stared at him. 
Well, there had to be an exception to the rule, didn't there? She looked annoyed. All right, where do these brigands and Indians come from? Do they get trapped in the jip also? Cody bowed his head. No one knows, not for certain. They seem to come with the hills, as if they live inside of them, or under them. When a hill day is over, they simply go away. They disappear. Casey's hope suddenly peaked. Maybe a portal of some kind opened during a hill day, something that let these people in and out. They came from somewhere. And maybe it wasn't a coincidence that the airplane had appeared on a hill day either. We have to go check out the hills, Casey said excitedly. Sasha nodded in agreement. But Cody was baffled. No, you don't understand, he said. He hastily cleaned the rifle as he spoke, checking it over. We're going to fight alongside the other town folk, beating back the brigands. We'll be busy all day shooting and getting shot at. The whole town's going to be under attack. Casey strapped on her gun. Sasha did the same. Logan helped them both adjust the heights of their holsters. Then they both put on a crisscross torso belt of bullets. Nevertheless, Casey said, we have to get out there. Hasn't it ever occurred to you that the answer to how to get out of here might be in those hills? Those brigands come from somewhere, and they go somewhere. Cody shook his head quizzically. So? So? We find out where they come from, where they go, and then we go there too. It could be a way out of here. Logan thought about this for several minutes and then said, What if wherever they go is worse than here? Suddenly they heard shouting. It had begun. Cody looked at Casey. Look, I'm telling you the hills are too dangerous. The people of the Jip need our help. They may be drunks and thieves most of the time, but right now they're our fellow town folk. They're fighting for our lives as well as their own. Some of them will get killed today. Casey was torn, but she nodded. Cody had a point. Come on! Cody howled, finally ready. Right behind you, Casey said. Same here, Sasha agreed. And I'm here as well. A gun in each hand. The foursome ran through the alley next to the Whitby for the second time today and out into the main street of the Jip. They quickly saw that the fighting was in the southwest corner of town, just beyond the cemetery. Several carts and carriages had been overturned and were serving as a protection from the hail of bullets coming from the hills. Sasha could see movement, dark shadows amidst the humps of ground, but no specific human form just yet. Heart or head, your opponent is dead, she muttered. She was already stealing herself to shoot the way Logan had taught her. This was the test, right here. A small army of 60 or so gunfighters from Archero Jip were shooting into the hills somewhat haphazardly, but at least there was constant pressure on the enemy. Some were behind the carts, and some were on the rooftops with rifles maneuvering on their bellies. Some of the braver ones were actually in the graveyard itself, firing into the hills from behind thin headstones. Casey spotted Eldon Floyd, the bartender of the 13, firing a rifle tentatively from the ground. He was scared but determined. And Dirk Fletcher, the legless ex-bounty killer, was bravely rolling around in the dirt with a pistol in each hand, fists ablaze. The Sheridan brothers, all three of them, were shooting and swearing to the best of their ability. Even the Fat Sisters were lending a hand reloading guns. She noted with a snort that Morgan Wiley didn't seem to be anywhere. Spyglass! Casey suddenly shouted. Sasha whirled on her. What? But Cody understood. She wanted his spyglass, the one he had shown her several nights ago. He drew it as quickly as if it were a gun from the pocket of his dust coat and tossed it to Casey. Then he cocked his rifle and fired into the hills ahead of them. Instead of turning the glass on the hills in front of them, where the shooting was coming from, Casey whirled around and pointed it at the Victorian. Huh? Why the hell is she doing that? Sasha thought. 
A bullet zinged right by Casey's head, so close that she probably even felt a breeze, but she didn't seem to notice. Son of a gun, Casey cursed. It's a trick. There goes Blackthorn. Just what I thought. Here, look. She tossed the glass to Sasha. Sasha raised the glass to her eye. The lens was a bit murk-blurred. Optical glassworks were still a little rough in the 1880s, apparently. But she could clearly see Blackthorn on a horse, flanked by his three deputies. He was heading away from the fighting, into the hills behind his house. With a start, Sasha realized that Ace didn't seem to be with them. For some reason, this bothered her greatly. What the hell was that little rodent? All of this! A distraction! Casey shouted to Cody and Logan through the din of yelling and gunfire. It's meant to keep us busy! Keep us from seeing Blackthorn take off! Whatever he's really up to, he's doing it right now! He's going for his damn sky chamber! Casey's brain screamed. He's got one hidden out there, hidden in those hills! Cody's eyes met hers and lit up. He suddenly realized it. She was right. They had to go into the hills after all. He turned grimly to Logan. Get horses for you three. I'm going for Trigger. Logan nodded. Sasha and Casey followed a sprinting Logan towards a barn. The hostler wasn't within. He was probably out fighting the Hillbrigans also. But the stalls were filled with horses. Logan quickly saddled three. You two ever ridden before? Sasha nodded. I have. Camp. Bunch of times. Casey nodded a bit more tentatively. Twice, but not very well, or very long. Logan looked her in the eye. You'll have to decide then. We have to go on horse. If you want to come with us, you'll have to do the best you can, or stay behind. It's up to you. Stay behind? No way in hell. I'm coming, Casey said quickly. Logan nodded. In moments, all three were up on their horses. Casey struggled, but she was horse functional, for now anyway. Where the hell is Cody? Did he go for his horse? Casey asked impatiently. Trigger, Sasha snorted. It figures your singing cowboy boyfriend actually has a horse named Trigger. But Logan bowed his head and smiled. At that moment, Cody arrived. He was on a large, oversized bicycle. It looked like something from the turn of the century with a massive front wheel and a small back wheel. Only the tire looked different. It was a wide tread and reminded Sasha of a mountain bike tire. In fact, the entire frame looked sturdier than those thin antique bikes. It was apparently custom-made for the rugged west instead of the usual city-style pleasure bicycling. Cody flashed his toothpaste commercial grin. Trigger, he said proudly, indicating the bike beneath him. Casey raised a you've-got-to-be-kidding-me eyebrow. Horses get spooked by snakes and gunfire. I like this better, he explained simply. Let's go, Logan prodded. The foursome galloped and pedaled out of the stables and and turned right away from the gunfight with the brigands and headed into the hills behind the dark Victorian at the end of the street. The hills were bizarrely silent. As the foursome entered their twisting pathways, the sounds of battle faded almost immediately, like someone had turned down the volume of the world. At first Casey thought she had gone momentarily deaf for some reason, but the hills simply muffled and reflected sound with their multiple curved surfaces in such a way that any noise was effectively muted. At the same time, winding their way through the hills reminded Casey of a box canyon or similar terrain she'd seen in westerns. Only the hills weren't craggy and sharp and vertical. They were rolling, round, and patched with grass. Logan led the way, sniffing the air and whipping his head back and forth. Somehow, all that added up to tracking Blackthorn. Cody clearly believed he knew what he was doing. He put a finger up to his mouth every time one of the girls looked as if she was going to say something. He didn't want anyone to interrupt the blind old Indian. He was tracking with his strong eye. Cody pedaled his weird bike with ease. Casey had wondered whether he would be able to keep up on that contraption. 
She figured you'd be huffing and puffing by now, but you seemed to be pulling it off with no trouble at all. The spaces between the hills formed a series of S-turns and forks, like a desert-sized garden maze. There was no way to get up any speed at all. Not that they could go any faster than they were. Logan was doing his best, but his method of divining Blackthorn's path seemingly took a little time. He pointed this way, or that way, every few moments, stabbing his finger in the air as each new fork in the winding paths appeared. Cody's eyes were on the hills. They were a perfect place from which to spring an ambush. If Blackthorn had set a guard of deputies, he would undoubtedly put them up there, on their bellies with rifles trained on the pass. Cody looked for a moment, for a glint of steel, or a reflection of the sun off metal, anything that looked out of place. Casey felt for her gun at her side. It didn't make her feel safe, but it made her feel better. She knew how to use it now, and so did Sasha. After half an hour, Logan stopped the party. Casey thought maybe he had lost the trail, but he motioned for Cody to join him. They spoke in low whispers for a moment, and then Cody nodded. Then he dismounted and jogged up a nearby hill on foot, crouching like a hunter as he ascended to the top. He looked at something just beyond it and then crept back down again. Found him, Cody whispered. He's just over this hill, but we should circle around back in case he decides to head back to the jip. He'll come this way. Logan nodded and started to lead them through the pass on the right. Casey opened her mouth, but Cody waved her silent. She was dying to ask him, What is he doing? What did you see? But Cody was having none of it. He felt they were too close. They might be overheard. Even with the strange sound-stopping quality of the hills, she would just have to wait. But not for long. In another five minutes, they'd circled entirely behind Blackthorn undetected. Casey was bursting with curiosity. They all dismounted, and Logan grabbed the reins of the three horses and petted them on their heads. He whispered to them, doing his best to keep them relaxed and silent. Keeping low, Cody, Casey, and Sasha quickly scampered up the hill. Logan remained behind the tent of the horses and watched their backs. When the trio had reached the top, Cody motioned for them to draw their guns and crawl on their stomachs. They both did so. Finally, Casey peered over the edge of the hilltop. The hill directly opposite their position featured a cave with a large opening, as if a giant had come by and scooped out the side of the hill. Blackthorn stood in the opening, conversing with his three deputies and one other figure, and Wiley was pacing nervously nearby, kicking at the dirt. There were several other scruffy-looking armed men wandering around as well. Yep, it definitely looked like a secret outpost of some kind. Cody scanned the hills with his spyglass. There was nobody there. It didn't look like Blackthorn had even set a guard of any sort. He was entirely confident that the whole town was busy with his diversion. The good people of Archero Jip had evidently been well-conditioned by previous hill days. But what caught Casey's eye was a small craft inside of the cave, half-visible. The basic shape was familiar. It was a sky chamber, no doubt about that. Casey shot a knowing look at Sasha, who nodded back appreciatively, and Cody gave her a sheepish look of apology. Blackthorn was one of her star people after all. Same with Wiley. Casey had been right all along. But this sky chamber was crude, no ornamentation, and the craftsmanship appeared poor. It looked thrown together, sort of lumpy. She wondered whether it would actually even fly. Sasha had the same thought and noted wryly that even Ian's attempt at a small sky chamber had looked far better than this. But these were Nuberians, and they probably knew what they were doing. It was the Nuberian equivalent of a life raft, something just good enough to escape the dimensional rift of the jip. There were gemstones set into the hull, but a few were missing as well. Casey counted. Three sockets remained. The craft was incomplete. 
but Blackthorn had already motioned for one of his deputies to bring a bulging burlap sack tied to his horse. Casey had a good idea of what was inside. The deputy set the sack down and untied it. It fell open, revealing three large Umphala's jewels. They sparkled in the bloody sun. Casey hissed. The sky chamber was about to be completed. They were getting ready to launch the ship today. At the sight, the man talking with Blackthorn grinned a toothless smile. He spoke, and Casey was startled to find that they could hear him quite clearly from their position. Sound apparently carried in the hills when there was an unobstructed line of sight, just as it was muted when there wasn't. Ooh, there's a couple of pretty pretties, the man said, eyes wide like a pirate spotting treasure. I almost thought I'd never see the day when we could leave this accursed rock. That should do it then, Blackthorn said. Oh yes, the man replied. Those little precious little lovelies were the last of the bunch we needed. I reckon we'll be up in the air inside of the hour. He clapped his hands together giddily. Stop talking like that, Blackthorn growled. All of you, from now on, you sound like the local hicks that infest this town, and I'm sick to death to the sound of it. We've been here too long. We're headed home, after years of being marooned in this dust hole. That was okay when we were here, but it's time we started behaving civilized again. What will Anu say when he sees us? Or Enlil, when he hears, I reckon, coming out of your dirty mouths? Yes, sir the toothless man said, standing up straight. He'll say you've gone native. That's what he'll say. That you lost it when you were stuck in the backwater. That you started to act like an animal. That you don't even deserve to be a centurion anymore. Uh, Yes, sir. Why, just look at you, Blackthorn chided, grabbing him by the chin. You've let yourself go. You're a wreck. You're sickly and your cake hole is empty of teeth. How did you lose them anyway? The man looked away, ashamed. A, a fight? A brawl? The Thirteen? With humans? Blackthorn hissed. Er, yeah. I hope you killed someone. I did. Two of them. The one who did this? Well, no, I, I couldn't tell who. Ah, Blackthorn spat. He was becoming more and more agitated. Just finish the ship, he growled. The man hurriedly scooped up one of the gems and motioned to the others to help him. They came and grabbed the other two crystals. They were heavy, and each took at least two men to carry each one. Nearer the sky chamber, there was a makeshift crane with a rope and pulley. They tied the rope around the gemstone and winched it up into the air. Slowly, one by one, each jewel was hoisted and lowered down into its socket. Casey seethed. There, right there, was a way out of the jip, and Blackthorn was going to be gone before the end of the day. They had to steal that ship. She gauged their chances. She counted Blackthorn, his three deputies, Wiley, and seven other men that she could see. Eleven. Three of them versus eleven. And one of them was Blackthorn, and maybe he even counted twice or three times. No, Cody whispered in her ear. I know what you're thinking, sweetheart. No way. We just can't take that many. Casey sagged. He was right, and she knew it. They were condemned to watch, helpless, while Blackthorn escaped. But the sheriff looked far from pleased. In fact, he was restless. Something was on his mind. He was normally a still-natured kind of person, able to sit patiently for hours, like a gecko in the sun. But not now. He paced and scowled. But why? 
His moment of triumph was at hand. It made no sense. After twenty minutes or so, the toothless man was back. The jewels are in place and humming like bees in a hive, sir. Good, Blackthorn replied, but he still didn't look happy about it. Sir, are, are you certain you know where the rift is? Blackthorn looked menacingly at him. Yes, I'm sure. Are you questioning me? No, no the man stammered. Well, to be fair, there were, there were some here who wondered whether you really even had the old gems. You know, from the old sky chamber. But you had them all right. Sure as sunshine. The man grinned and then winced. That had been the second country aphorism he'd used since he'd been warned, and he was sure that it sounded native in Blackthorn's ear. But the sheriff ignored it. Uh, point is, no one doubts you now, sir. And we're glad. You know, we've been working on the ship for a long time. It's been back-breaking labor. You know that. For years. It's been nearly impossible to construct between finding the right materials from the ship's mines or from the hills or even scavenged from the old ship. But then we had to use the blacksmith's forge, of all things, to craft them, to mold the metal parts. And then we even lost the blacksmith himself, which made it doubly hard on us. But I guess you know about that. We had to guess how this dratted contraption worked. Blackthorn shot a look. Careful. Yeah, well, we may do, though, but it weren't easy, is all I'm saying. And I'd have you appreciate that. And now the ship's finished. And she may not be a beauty, but she'll fly through the rift. Of that, I'm sure. But you have to understand, we only get one shot at this, sir. One shot. So you have to be absolutely sure of where the rift is located. I mean, dead nuts on. Or we'll be back here mighty quick and with a hell of a thump. Blackthorn eyed him uneasily. His mind was elsewhere, but his mouth still spoke. I knew where the rift was before, but that thing that overflew the town this morning... That confirmed it 100%. I saw it go through the rift. The man's eyes widened. You saw it actually go through? Blackthorn nodded. There can't be any doubt now. It's there, all right. But what, what was it? I mean, the thing, the man ventured. Blackthorn snapped out of his reverie and met his gaze with steely eyes. I don't know. It was a ship. An airship. One of ours? No, Blackthorn said simply. How can that be? The man whispered conspiratorially. I mean, it can't be one of theirs. Blackthorn shrugged. I don't care what it was. In less than an hour, it won't matter. The man laughed greedily. No, <laughs> no it won't, will it? Ah, oh, I can't wait to get home. My family is going to be so surprised. Yes, Blackthorn said curiously, looking at him as if for the first time. Yes, they will. He smiled wanly, a painful smile. Why don't you get everyone loaded into this ship? Let me know when you're finished and everyone's aboard. The man smiled and nodded. Yes, sir! He scuttled off and began hustling the remaining men up the ramp and into the ship. A few minutes later, they heard horse thunder nearby. There'd been no sound at all, and then suddenly the ground was rumbling all around. Riders approached, lots of them. Cody whipped around in a half panic, but Logan waved calmly at him. He pointed in another direction. The riders were coming from behind Blackthorn. They would not pass this way and spot the foursome. Sure enough, within moments, twenty ragged men on horseback arrived in a cloud of dust. They were dirty and some were injured and bleeding. With a start, Casey realized that these were the brigands that had been attacking the town. The leader jumped down and limped his way up to Blackthorn. 
"'Sir?' he said and made an exhausted salute. Blackthorn turned slowly, his midnight dust coat swirling behind him menacingly. He nodded wordlessly. "'We lost a few back there,' the leader panted. "'The jit put up a hell of a fight this time.' Abruptly, Blackthorn slapped him. The man fell to the ground and looked up in confusion. He was clearly surprised by this reaction. "'You lost centurions to humans?' to a ragtag town defense? You're pathetic. I ought to leave you here and let them hang you. The leader looked up with hesitation and then said, We wouldn't have, but your orders were to wound only, no killings. It's hard to shoot and not kill someone, harder than just killing them. Blackthorn eyed him with a glint of suspicion. Why? Did you kill some of them? The leader didn't speak. He just looked up in terror. Well, did you? The leader jolted like he'd been hit with an electric shock. Well, uh, yes, yes, we did. I mean, it was an accident. We tried just to wound them, but they kept jumping in the way with their heads and such. How many? The man turned white. Ah, uh, hard to say. Uh, I think eight or nine. Uh, no more than ten. I'll say ten. Ten. Blackthorn drew with his faster than the eye could register speed and shot the man where he lay. The others had dismounted, and the toothless man was hurrying them along, herding these battle-weary zombies into the sky chamber, but then simply kept shuffling along as if nothing had happened, nothing at all. Blackthorn replaced his weapon, staring down at the man with contempt. Why does he care whether town folk are killed, Casey wondered. That didn't make any sense. Knowing Blackthorn, she'd figured he would burn the place to the ground before he left, just out of sheer spite. We've got to try, Casey whispered hoarsely to Cody and Sasha. They're almost inside the ship now, except Blackthorn and that other one. Now it's three against two, in our favor. Now's our chance. We can take them. Casey, the odds really haven't changed, Cody said. The others are still there. Granted, they're in the ship, but it's not like they're gone or something. Do you think they won't come right back out when the shooting starts? Only if we let them, Sasha said. They're stuck in a bottleneck, the hatch. If I go up on the other hill and keep a gun trained right on the hatch, I can hit them one at a time as they come out. There's nothing they can do about it. In a gunfight, that ship is a death trap. They'll never get out alive. She's right, Casey said to Cody. Logan taught us all a little too well, and you know it, so stop protesting. We won't ever get another chance like this again. There's a ship right there, ready to go. We have to take it away from Blackthorn. Cody nodded. Sasha is right, he sighed and hung his head. I just don't like it, is all. All right, Sasha, get over there. We'll signal you when we're ready to attack. You ignore everything else except that hatch, no matter what. You let us engage Blackthorn and that other one. Sasha nodded solemnly and crept off. Cody grabbed Casey's hand and squeezed. Alone at last. Should we make out before going into the gunfight? Casey asked. Cody suppressed a snort. You know I would, but one of us has to keep an eye on Blackthorn down there. You can keep your eyes open, Casey said and leaned in for a kiss. All of the maroon Nibirians, the deputies and the Hilbrigans, had been loaded into the sky chamber. The jewels thrummed with power. Blackthorn lit a cigar and puffed away. He walked several yards away from the front of the cave as if he wanted to be alone with his thoughts. The toothless man approached. Sasha lay down on the opposite hill, her gun drawn and aimed squarely at the hatch of the sky chamber. Cody waved to her to wait, hold steady. She signaled back that she was standing by. Cody watched Blackthorn through his spyglass, being careful not to reflect a glint of sunlight down into the canyon below, and Casey's gun was aimed straight at Blackthorn's head. She hated him, 
and she had to admit she couldn't wait to pull the trigger. So everything's done just like you asked, sir, the toothless man said with a black smile. She's loaded up and ready to go. Back to Nibiru. He laughed spastically, hooting and hollering. But Blackthorn just stood there, puffing a cigar wordlessly. Cody signaled to get ready to spring the attack. He counted down with his fingers. In five, four. The man's laugh ran out of steam painfully. Blackthorn puffed some more. He stared at him. He blew smoke into the man's face. The man coughed. Thank you kindly, Blackthorn said. But I regret to inform you, there's been a change of plan. Three. The toothless man was stunned. What do you mean, sir? Calmly, Blackthorn removed a bundle of dynamite from his dust coat. He held the end of the wick up to a cigar. It lit. Sparks gushed and crackled from it. Two. Blackthorn tossed the lit bundle of dynamite into the cave. What are you doing, sir? Wait, 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 hold! Cody held his fist frantically, face red and full of stress. Do not move, he signaled. Something was wrong below. Casey had already depressed her trigger so far that she had to hurriedly put her thumb in between the hammer and the gun to stop it from going off. Damn it! She'd had Blackthorn right there! She bit her cheek to keep from screaming at the pain, but her frustration felt worse than her thumb. Blackthorn stared calmly at the toothless man for another five seconds. He was horror-stricken. He had no idea what was going on. Surely this was a joke. This wasn't real. An explosion ripped the air. The cave rumbled. Several more sympathetic explosions quickly followed, as if other flammable materials had also been inside the cavern. Then the hill pancaked down, like a beach ball losing air, and a crater-like depression appeared on top of it. The cave collapsed. Rubble poured out, filled the entrance and interior completely. A concussion of sound and air hit Cody, Casey, and Sasha palpably. A quick rip of hot wind slapped them, made them cover their heads. And when they looked up again, they saw that a rush of dust had whooshed out of where the cavern had been and was now floating murkily in the canyon below. Still, Blackthorn hadn't moved even a muscle. The toothless man was crying, sobbing, while he met Blackthorn's gaze. His mind was snapping in half. There were more bundles of dynamite already in the cave, Blackthorn explained academically. Strategically placed, so that the cave would implode neatly when something else lit them on fire. That was what you could call a controlled demolition, my friend. The toothless man shook uncontrollably. The world had gone mad, mad, mad. But why? Why would you do such a thing? It doesn't make any sense. You could have left the chip. You could have been home this very evening. But instead, you've killed your own men and destroyed the one way you could escape. You've damned yourself to this place as well. Blackthorn drew his gun nonchalantly and pointed it at the man's head. I was already damned to this place, with or without that ship. Blackthorn pulled the trigger. The toothless man slumped, dead. Blackthorn threw down his cigar and stomped it out with a boot, and got on his black horse and rode back to Arturo Jip. You've been listening to Max Quick, Book Two, The Two Travelers, by Mark Jeffrey. 
read by the author. Produced by Mark Jeffrey in association with Podiobooks.com. For more information on this patio book, please visit www.maxquickseries.com. The print version of both The Pocket and the Pendant, Max Quick Book 1, and The Two Travelers, Max Quick Book 2, are available at lulu.com in paperback format, PDF format, and hardcover. <laughs>